parables, parables with power is the title of this series. Today is number three in our series, The Track, The Treason, and The Treasure. What in the world is happening in our country? What's happening in the world? What is this world coming to? I hear those things constantly. Almost every week somebody will say something like that. The fact is Jesus actually had the answer to that question. And he explained it with some powerful word pictures we call parables or uh, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Jesus, in the parables we've already looked at, was uh, trying to answer the question, why is it that some people won't believe the gospel? Well, the problem is not the quality of the seed because the seed is the Word of God. The problem is the soil. Some soil just won't take to that seed. In this message, though, it's not why people will not believe the gospel. This actually is about all the strange things that people do believe. And that's really the theme of what we're talking about. It's a crazy day we live in today, maybe because of uh, the, uh, the ease which uh, doctrine can be decimated out on the internet or whatever. But any new ism, religious or secular, you give it some fancy name, make it sound a little interesting, and folks are all too ready to buy into it. No matter how bizarre, no matter how illogical it is, people will just, grown, educated people will just buy into it because it sounds new. And when you look at this world, you wonder, why in the world did it happen this way? Why is there so many religions? Why is there so much crazy philosophy out there? Jesus, 2,000 years ago, looked ahead and said, I'm going to give you an answer because you're going to be wondering where all this stuff came from. And so he gave us an answer, the track, the treason, and the treasure to help us understand that. Well, uh, I will say today, I hope you have your steel-toed boots on because I might be stomping on a few toes here, uh, but uh, I know that you can take it. Speaking of uh, how crazy things get and how liberal um, things can be out there in this world. Uh, I read this this week, had to make me smile for sure. Someone said, how many liberals does it take to change a light bulb? The answer, none. They prefer to walk in the dark. <laughs> and uh, well, the same is true with liberal Christianity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's really these three uh, messages, all of them really address this subject. What in the world is happening. Let's all bow forward in prayer. Father, thank you for these messages. I've so enjoyed, Lord, reading through them, thinking about them. Now, Lord, to be able to go through all three of these in 40 minutes or so, Lord, I just ask for your wisdom. I pray that, God, we will just have your mind on the matter. Lord, if there's something I was planning to say that I really shouldn't say at this time or maybe never, Lord, you just remove it from my mind. If there's something I should say that I wasn't even planning on saying, but you want me to say, please say so. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that each one of us would get on board and on track. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first parable. If we were to track this world, if we were to track the direction of what's happening, what, how would we be able to do that? Jesus said, here's how you can do it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. And let's read verses 31 and 32 together, if you would. Ready, begin. Verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, 
which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. All right, so we got a man who is taking this little seed, a mustard seed, very small. Many seeds are small. Some are <laughs> so much smaller than others. Such is the case of a mustard seed, very small. Really, uh, what he's talking about here is the gospel seed and the, the truth that uh, starts off small. You know, you think about the gospel and you think about how simple really the gospel is. It's so different than the trappings of religion. Religion, you know, uh, they, every false religion I've ever seen has a special clothing they wear. They have special gestures they make, you know. They have special words they say. But, and as one uh, famous author said, mankind is incurably religious. The gospel seed is small, and religion maybe started small. Notice the simplicity of the seed. It's just a little seed, small seed, but it is so powerful. One of the greatest theologians that ever lived, one who had memorized almost the entire Old Testament, was once asked, he was fluent in four or five languages, could also study the Greek and the Hebrew, amazing intellect. And they said, of all the truths you've learned about the Bible, what is the greatest? He said, honestly, the greatest truth of all is that Jesus loves me. This I know. And notice this little seed, the gospel seed. Religion started off small. It started off simple. The secret of the seed, though, is in the seed itself. It may be simple, it may be small, but it's full of life. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you are the words of life. Did you know that every Sunday you come here, you hear the greatest message ever? You'd say, Pastor, are you bragging? <laughs> no. The fact is, others may preach the gospel better. But I will tell you this, nobody can preach a better gospel because the gospel of grace is a simple and a small seed, but it is the greatest truth of all. And so this herb is small, but notice what happens to this herb. It may be a small seed, but it changes. There is a strange, unexpected, and perplexing phenomena that takes place. This little herb, herbs are planted yearly, herbs are small. This herb becomes this big old giant tree. Can you imagine going out there, planting maybe like a tomato plant or something, and all of a sudden that tomato plant, you come outside, and it's a giant oak tree. You'd say, good night, what happened to that uh, tomato plant? You'd think it, got a, it must have got tapped into the septic tank or something, you know. I mean, look at that thing. It is huge. And that's what happens here. It is an herb. It's small. It's simple. And yet, notice it becomes a tree. Herbs never produce trees, and trees never produce herbs. Something has gone strange. Something has gone haywire here. And this is talking about the development of haywire religion or false religion. Where does it all come from? Now, the hearers in Jesus' time, remember he's out on a boat. He's pulled a little bit away from the shore. Some people are probably holding the boat. It's a beautiful, maybe spring day there, and they're all uh, just enjoying the, the scenery. And Jesus is looking at a man sowing the field. Then he's telling this story and that story. And now he talks about somebody who plants a small herb, 
but it becomes a giant tree, and then birds come. Birds. Now, these, many of these hearers were familiar with the Old Testament, and they likely, in their mind, went back to Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, uh, you see it in your notes there, it says, upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto the heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. Daniel had a vision about a great tree hundreds of years before the time of Christ. And he said, in this tree there were birds up there, dirty birds. Birds were roosting up there. They were nasty birds, and they were causing a mess. I mean, the birds around this campus and our house, I mean to tell you, they are just disastrous. They just are so nasty. And here he's talking about the same thing. Now, Babylon back then was an actual nation, but Babylon also is symbolic. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 18, when in the New Testament, the apostle John says that false religion basically is another Babylon. Revelation 18, verse 2, and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful birds. And so this is talking about the rise of false religion in the last days. Jesus said, I want you to be careful. Now I know you're excited about your faith and you're excited about what's going on, but he said, you better be careful because that little herb can become a tree. And that tree, if it's not careful, will become the place where every cult, every crazy and every kook comes there and perches there. He talks about these birds, these dirty birds. And folks, we have dirty birds in Lodi and dirty birds in Stockton and Galt. There's dirty birds in America and in the world today that are diminishing the deity of Christ, that are denying the Word of God. And yet he said, I want you to get this in your mind because it'll be a unique word of encouragement. As you look through the corridor of time, you need to know something. While it's certainly unnatural, an herb tree, an herb to become a tree, it's certainly not unexpected. Now, what kind of birds do we see in the, goth, in the tree that maybe started out good, but became this very big, ugly, crazy-looking tree today? I like what one preacher said. I, I read it. I had to laugh. The first one, he said, the first bird you'll see in false religion today is the yellow-bellied compromiser. The yellow-bellied compromiser, that uh, home of snowflake Christianity. Then there's the liberal loony birds. They are so tolerant that uh, even the devil has good points to them. The yellow-bellied compromiser, the liberal loony bird, and then the denominational dodo, pushing brand names over the Bible. And I, I had to laugh when I read those. I said, good job, brother. And that's exactly what's going to happen in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse. The Bible says people who have a form of godliness, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power. It's all form. It's all ritual. False teachers are energized by the power of the devil. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers says about how we can figure out which is true and which is false. And if you want to do some 
spiritual bird watching, here's some things you can look for. There are three tests. First of all, the source test. The source test. When someone comes to your door, someone gives you a book, someone gives you a CD, or uh, someone tells you to listen to a podcast, or you go on the internet, or you uh, watch something on TV, or you hear something on the radio, the first question is, what is the basis of your information? What is the source of what you're telling me? Give me the source. What's the source book? Let's go back to the place where you're getting your information. And I will say this, if it is anything other than only the Word of God, then that is a dirty bird right there. That is a bird who is now resting in this tree of religion that started off good as a nice seed, but it just got way out of hand. And I will say that today there is such an attack on righteousness, such an attack on reality and the Bible as there's never been. I read recently now they're going to rewrite the Bible, and there's one publisher that's going to take out all the sexist terms. Not going to have any he, not going to have any she. When we come to Matthew chapter 6, it's not going to say our Father which art in heaven. It's going to say our person which art in heaven. I mean, can you imagine how crazy it's getting? And anymore, many of these publishers are just, just pushing out another Bible, another Bible. It's not actually a Bible. They're just, many of them, just commentaries. But Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18 says something about that. It says, if any man shall take away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away their part out of the book of life. It goes on to say, if you add anything to it. And so here's the question, the source test. Do they believe the Bible is the only inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God? And the mothers will say, yeah, it's the Word of God, but so is this book of doctrines. No, no, there's only one infallible, inerrant, inspired, and that is the Word of God. And so the first thing is the source test. The second test is the Savior test. If you're looking, doing some spiritual bird watching here, we're trying to find out which birds that uh, are dirty birds, well, go to the source. And then number two, who's their Savior? Who saves you? Do you save yourself? Does God save you? Do you have any part in your salvation other than simply believing the gospel? Because, my friend, if you're wrong about Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you're right about. That's what it says in 2 John 1, verse 9. It says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, Christ meaning Messiah. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then it says you have not God. They may state that Jesus was real. They may say Jesus was a great teacher. They may even say deceptively, Jesus is a God. But there is only one way to say that. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is not just a God. He is God. And they may say they believe in Jesus. They love Jesus even. They They respect Jesus. He was a great prophet. But the Savior test... We'll always find out whether that bird is a good bird or a dirty bird. And so the source test, the Savior test, and number three, the salvation test. How do you get saved? Is it the blood of Jesus Christ or is it the blood of Jesus plus this? The blood of Jesus minus this. What is it? Find out if they believe Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. 
People say, well, how did Adam and Eve get saved? They got saved by grace through faith. How did Noah get saved? He got saved by grace through faith. The Bible says Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. It didn't say he found the law or he found works or he found some, uh, you know, thing that baptism or anything else. No, the fact is Jesus warned that there are going to be birds that come into this tree that started off like an herb, that started off pretty normal, really, but it just got crazier and crazier. And that's what religion does. It maybe start off as one man that, you know, in the 1850s or 40s or whatever that was, Joseph Smith, running around, you know, just telling people his wacko ideas about God and the Bible. Most everybody just kind of, you know, denied it. But a few people got on board with that. And today we have this full-blown religion with hundreds of thousands of adherents in the Mormon church, all because it was a small little herb that became a big tree. And now all kinds of crazy, dirty birds are in that tree. People say, what is the world coming to? The fact, really, and the bigger question is not what the world is coming to, but really who is coming to this world. And Jesus is coming. You'd say, what's the track of this world? The track is that Jesus is coming, but things are going to get worse before he comes, very clearly. Number two, now Jesus said, he's going to tell the story of a woman who committed treason, a woman who, a desperate housewife. Verse number 33, let's read it together, please. All right, ready, begin. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. One verse, one story. Jesus is there. The Galilean blue sea is lapping at the side of that ship. The bird, the seagulls are there making their noise up in the air. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a story about a desperate housewife, about an insidious woman, a deceitful lady who decided that she was going to make, she was going to hide in her loaf something. So it should have been just an unleavened bread, but she put some leaven in there. She put some yeast in there. Satan's bake shop. Now, when Jesus began to talk about leaven, again, their mind, they knew leaven because throughout the scripture, leaven was looked at as something symbolically that was not good. Certainly nothing wrong with just leaven in and of itself, but it symbolically always pictured something. For example, in Genesis chapter 18, we find the story of Abraham and Sarah cooking a meal for that heavenly guest, and they cooked unleavened bread. We also remind ourselves in Judges chapter 6 and verse 19 that this, and they had three measures of meal. They had three measures of an ephah, which is a certain size, a little receptacle, had three measures of of meal in it. And that's what they cooked. So it had, and notice this woman here had three measures. And so what are these uh, three parts of leaven? What are these three things that were happening there? Well, in the Jewish feast, there was one feast called the Passover. It happens in the spring. And it was a symbol of when they, back in the Old Testament, under, uh, in the time of, they were in Exodus there. 
And an angel of death passed over the Jewish nation. And by putting the blood of Jesus Christ on the mantle, the angel of death passed over them. And so this, they had to eat unleavened breath, which was a symbol of having no sin in their life. Of course, the only way we can have no sin is by having Jesus wash our sins away. We can't actually have no sin of our own. But it was a symbol of the fact that when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, He takes all of your sins away. He imputes His righteousness to you, and our sin is imputed unto Him. And that's all what He's talking about. In the Jewish mind, they knew that they had to have unleavened bread for their Passover. In fact, when it was time for that Passover meal in spring, they would have to go to their home and make sure that there was no yeast in the home. Very symbolic. Make sure there's no yeast in the cupboard. Make sure there's no yeast anywhere. Sweep the floor, clean the cupboards, pull out the drawers. Make sure there's no yeast in this house. In fact, uh, many people this is, uh, think this is where the idea of spring cleaning came from. It was a symbol of cleaning your home of every leaven. And uh, many people do spring cleaning today. And so that's what they were talking about here, that get the leaven out of the home. In the New Testament, leaven is also symbolized as sin. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 6. The Apostle Paul, preaching to that Corinthians church, said, look, we need to get the leaven out of this church. We need to get the leaven out of your lives. We need to get the leaven out of our family. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Now, I want you to notice what this woman did. She took the leaven and she put it in the meal. And it was supposed to be unleavened, but this sneaky housewife, she put some leaven in there. Maybe she thought it would be better or taste better or whatever, but she put it in there. Now, I can tell you, leaven is interesting in that it works in a lukewarm um, situation. If it's cold, it doesn't work very good. But if it's lukewarm, I'm telling you what, that leaven can absolutely take off. Um, Here a few weeks ago, uh, we were... I decided I would help my wife uh, cook, and she lets me do that once in a while. And so I said, I'll, I'll help you, honey. It was Sunday morning. She was busy getting other things ready. I said, I'll, uh, we had this freezer bread. It's, you know, it's, it's leavened bread. It's, uh, it's, it, you put it in the oven, and it, you know, by the time you come home from church, there you have a nice uh, bread. So I said, I'll help you. And so we thought, now, she, she knows how to do this, but I wasn't very good at this. So I remember I thawed it out, and then it said you have to put it into a warm oven, not a hot oven, just let it rise for a while. And so I let it rise in a little warm oven. I put the oven on warm. I figured it would make it really rise good. And so I came back about three hours ready, later, just before we were ready to go to church, and I never seen anything so big in all my life. That thing looked like a giant bubble in there. And I said, honey, what am I going to do? So I decided, and there was two of them, and they were kind of next to each other. So I figured I'd kind of pry them apart. Well, the minute I touched them, they went like that. And then I was like, oh, no, I had, I had balloons, and now they're pancakes. And uh, so I, and I said, okay, well, we'll cook them. We'll see, just see what we got. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, that was some strange bread when we came home after church there. But I helped her. Thank God. She appreciates my help. And... Uh, so I know what this lady was going through here back in the day. She took, she had that leaven and it got in just, and I, you know, it's just amazing. A little bit of, a little tiny pack of leaven of yeast and it just gets in the whole thing. 
Now, notice what happens here. There are at least three kinds of leaven mentioned in Scripture. Jesus himself mentioned these. First of all, we have the leaven of the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 6. Which is works. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They believed in works salvation. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 28, he describes a little more completely these fellows. He said, you are like unto whited sepulchers. Graves that, you know, they go whitewash those graves and make them pretty, which indeed appear beautiful outward. He said, I'll I'll grant you, you guys look really good on the outside, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also appear outwardly a righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I'll tell you something. Jesus was straightforward, wasn't he? He was a straight shooter. He said, I want to tell you one thing. You look good on the outside, but you are as rotten as a bunch of maggot meat on the inside. Man, I'm telling you, well, that's some straight preaching. Jesus said, you guys are, you have whitewashed the outside, but you are dead on the inside. Jesus said, your faith is external and skin deep, and you don't have a real uh, faith on the inside. It's all works. And there today is a works salvation. The biggest tragedy in the church today, bar none, is still works salvation. It has been that way since day one, since all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Satan tried to offer Adam and Eve a way around the blood. And the same thing is true 6,000 years later. People are trying to get to heaven some other way. But it always is through salvation. They had a profession, but they had no possession. They had laws but, and traditions, but they had no life. They had heads full of rituals, but hearts full of sin. What is the way to heaven? Acts 16, 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's how we're saved. But these the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were right-wingers. I mean, they were very staunch. They were very traditional, but they were trying to work their way to heaven. And I'm glad the Bible doesn't say, you know, everybody that wants to be saved, run around the block because there are those who can't run. I'm glad Jesus didn't say, everybody who wants to be saved, give $100 because there are some that don't have $100. I'm glad the Bible didn't say, everybody who wants to be saved, read the Bible. No, because some can't read. But there is something that anybody and everybody and everyone must do, and that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's saying here to you Pharisees, he's saying, you have a works salvation, and that is leaven. You are spoiling the bread. This was good bread until you put that leaven in there. Number two, the leaven of the Sadducees. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 6, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Jesus is looking at these people and he's saying, I know that you're impressed by these Pharisees, but I'm telling you, you need to be aware of them. Second of all, he said, you need to be aware of the Sadducees. Now, if the Pharisees were on the right, the Sadducees were on the far left. They were actually the predominant religious political party. They were the liberals and they were, could be accused of waffling. They were believers of anything, everything, Whatever, you name it, it was Jesus plus anything else. There are people today who say, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in Buddha. And I believe, you know, Muhammad. No, it's Jesus 
only be aware of the leaven of the Sadducees. What do the Sadducees believe? Well, Acts chapter 23 and verse 8 said, the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Now, the devil is tricky. If you can't people to get people to go to the right and do a works salvation, he gets people on the left and tries to get them with liberalism. He doesn't care which ditch he gets the gospel car in as long as they fall in the ditch. And here he's telling them that people be warned because there's going to be a liberalism come in the final days. And I will tell you that is happening in the modern church today. There is such an anemic brand of Christianity trying to explain away hell. Mega church pastors today, men like Rob Bell, who pastored for many years the Mars Hill Church, who wrote uh, uh, Velvet Elvis and the most, his most notable book, uh, Love Wins, Rob Bell. Here's what he said about heaven and hell. He said, heaven and hell are present realities. They're choices we make every day. Well, I got news for Rob Bell. Heaven and hell are future realities. The Bible says they are not just something we make ourselves. They are a place. They are a destination. Or like the local reverend I read about a few months ago who said, we're not a doctrinal church. We're a relational church. We have an open mind. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You might be relational, but I'll guarantee if you're not doctrinal, you're not biblical. You need to be biblical. I still like Back in the day, we used to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. In fact, I think even better way to say it is, if God settles, said it, that settles it, amen? I mean, God said it, that settles it. We don't need to be this or that. And so the second leaven was that of liberalism or waffling. Then there are not only works and waffling, then there's the leaven of Herod. Jesus warned of three different leavens, three different bad things that were going to be put into that uh, meal there, and that is worldliness. Look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, and of the leaven of Herod. Now, who was Herod? Herod was a pleasure-mad king, and you talk about a leaven that is pervasive today. It is. Now, most leaven just takes a little bit to spoil, but this leaven, I'm telling you what, it is absolutely into the church. We've been told by Madison Avenue that happiness is a new car or vacation or this or that or eating some kind of certain food or that it comes from a pill or the mouth of a bottle. Or if you're a presidential candidate, Kamalia Harris, she says happiness comes at the end of a joint. That's running. She's running for president. I'll tell you one thing. We live in a world today where people are pleasure mad and encouraging it. Even our government is making money off of all kinds of uh, pleasure, mad things. And I will tell you, folks, if the devil can't get us through works, he'll get us through waffling. Liberalism, he can't get us through waffling, he'll get us through worldliness. The devil does not care how he destroys the work of God, whether it's the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, or the leaven of Herod. But Jesus said, in every case, be Where of that leaven. And I want you to notice who put it in the bread. It was a woman. It was a woman that put it in the leaven. You say, are you bashing women today? That's not at all. The point is, it's alluring. Women are typically alluring, most women, and uh, they are alluring. And so there is something about the, uh, this that just is such drawing. 
That's why it says in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, Paul said, I warn you against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there is the word for methods, the methods of the devil. And I'll tell you one thing, the devil has methods and he is systematically attacking the foundation of the gospel and the gospel of the church. Jesus said, when you see these things, know that the end is coming. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. When all of these things come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And folks, uh, yes, things are getting dark. People say, what in the world? What's, every, what's happening in this world? Well, that's exactly what Jesus said. It is a, it is a seed that became an herb that became a tree, and it's full of all kinds of dirty birds. He said it is like a woman who put a little bit of leaven, but it's gotten to the point where it just is exploding that bread, and it's, it is infected so much. And Jesus is warning us about the future. But the fact is, even though the times are dark, they're gloriously dark. And that's what the Bible says. When you see these things happening, look up. Not, don't look down. Don't get discouraged. Look up. Look for Jesus. And that's what we're looking for today. And that's why I encourage each one of us as uh, Christians and as members of this church, pray for your pastor and pray for the leaders of our church because so that we would stay on track. We'd make sure that we keep preaching the right gospel, the track of this future, the treason, and now finally the treasure. Thank God there's a treasure found. Look at verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, let's read it together. Verse 44, if you would. Ready, begin. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now, these things we've talked about here today are parables. They're stories. They're earthly stories, but they have heavenly meanings. That's why the scripture can't be just read and understood. It has to be illuminated. It is a spiritual discovery. It is a revelation from the Spirit of God. Now, notice in this story, Jesus said, there's a man who's, walk, who's plowing the field. And uh, as he's plowing the field, he somehow discovers this beautiful treasure. He looks down there. I read about a man this week, uh, who, uh, or a group that was fishing, actually, and they pulled up in their net an anchor from a sunken uh, treasure ship. I thought, man. I read about another guy who found a sword in his field there in England, I think a Viking sword. And what can you imagine? So here they are. They, they're, he's plowing the field. He finds a precious treasure. But being a, a little bit sneaky, he decides that he is going to cover that up not make it known. <laughs> then he goes and offers to buy the field from the person. And uh, because he, not because he especially wants the field, but because he loves the treasure. He just thinks that treasure is so amazing. And so he purchases the field for the treasure's sake. What is this talking about? This actually is talking about God's unique treasure, his people. Israel, the Jews. Israel, first of all, is a nation that has been blessed. It is a treasure. Exodus chapter 19 and verse number five, it says, a peculiar treasure above all people for the earth 
is mine. He said, I love the earth. I own the earth, but the peculiar treasure are my people. Now, the three parables that I have spoken to you here this morning, each one, there are different little interpretations, but I really believe, and because of the time frame, wasn't able to really explore all the options that are out there, but I am confident that these things all teach what's going to happen in the future days. This one actually is a little bit different. We see the track of the future. It's, we see the track of wacko religion and craziness, and all these dirty birds get there. We've seen now how that, uh, how that just a little leaven gets in there. We find the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and then of Herod. Now we find a treasure that's in a field. What did God tell Abraham? He said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he said, through you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. He'd say, wait a second. Why, why has God just loved the Israelites so much? Well, he loves everybody. He said, well, why does he give so much treasure to the Israelites? Why did he give so many blessings to them? Does he want them just to, to just, uh, they just get it all? No. Here's the verse says, I'm giving it to you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing to the world. And that's why God gave it to them. And he knew something about Abraham. He knew that he and his descendants would share. They would share the wealth. And you know what? We have gotten so much from the Jewish nation. Not only a lot of physical things, we've gotten amazing scientists and all kinds of economic things and all kinds of defense things, even from a practical standpoint. From, from a spiritual standpoint, what did uh, Israel give us? They gave us the Bible. In fact, the apostle uh, Paul recommended that. He said, from you have come the oracles of God. It is the Jewish writers that gave us the gospel. They gave us the Old Testament. And the New Testament, for the most part, were written almost 90 whatever percent by Jewish people. The Bible is a treasure that's been given to us by the Jewish people. God said to Israel, He said to Israel, He said to Abraham, You are, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Not only did Israel give us the Bible, but Israel gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the fact is, folks, if we want to know what God is up to, just keep your eyes on the Jews. As the Jew goes, so goes the world. They are God's yardstick, they are God's blueprint. You want to know what's going on in the world? Don't uh, say, man, I just want to need, know what's going on in Washington, D.C. Nothing wrong with knowing it, but Washington, D.C. isn't the center. Moscow is not the center. Everybody's all worried about Moscow today. I'll tell you what we ought to look at. Just keep your eyes on Jerusalem. What's going on in Jerusalem? That's the key. People say, oh, I want to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times because I want to know what's going on back there in our nation's capital, the Washington Post. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. You want to find uh, what's going on in the world, get the Jerusalem Times. You'll find out what's going on because the Jewish nation are God's chosen people. They have been blessed by God so they can be a blessing. And so it's a treasure. But not only is it a treasure, notice what happened to the treasure. Number two, Israel has been buried. It is buried in the soil of the earth. Jesus is the one who has found this treasure. He came into the world, but they didn't want him. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says he came into his own, and his own didn't want him. 
He came to his Jewish people, but they didn't want him. And today, right now, Israel is buried. For the most part, their eyes are closed to the gospel. Their heart is hard. Not very many Jewish people get born again. They are hid in the earth. They have been buried. You'd say, well, that sounds sad, but no. They, as it says in John, Matthew 15, and verse 24, Jesus answered, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of Israel. They're a lost treasure. They're in the soil. But the good news is he's coming back. He's coming back for them. They have been blessed. They have been buried. But thank God he's coming back. And that is what it says here. They have been bought. They were a treasure, but he paid for it. Jesus came and paid the ultimate price for the Jewish people. First Peter chapter 1 says, you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You'd say, well, what price did he give? He paid with the crimson coins of his blood. And that, you'd say, well, wow, that's an amazing story. It is amazing. And Jesus said to the, these people that were sitting there, he said, look, I love you, and I love your, your descendants that are going to come. I love the Jewish people, but you're going to be hid for a time, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back for my treasure. Is God done with Israel? Oh, no. Look what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. The apostle Paul said it to the people. He said, I say then, if God cast away his people, God forbid. No way. God hasn't forgotten his people. God forbid. Why? What's going on? Well, they're being hid right now. Why? What's happening? Look at verse 25. There's a blindness in part, mostly large part. Some get saved, but most don't. There's a blindness in part happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's what we're living in right now. We are living in the times of the Gentiles. These are the times of the Gentiles. You won't find very many big, any small even, Jewish churches. You won't find hardly any uh, churches in Israel, a few. But for the most part, everything that's going on for God is done in the Gentiles. It is the Gentiles that are a special blessed by God right now. But Israel is God's treasure, and they've been covered over. And then when all that time comes, think of verse 26, there's going to come a moment, Romans eleven twenty-six, and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins." Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Bible says there's coming a day. This actually is speaking about the end of the tribulation period and all the things that are happening all over the world. The Antichrist has risen. There's hundreds of millions of people from the east and from the north and from the south that are converged on Israel. There's going to be so much craziness going on. The blood is going to be running down the streets. It's just going to be an amazing moment. Jesus is going to appear and the Bible says all Israel will be saved. Now, many of them will be rebels and already die or will die in the conflict. But at that moment, they will be saved. And the greatest revival in the history of the earth will take place. And they will 
all be saved. They will receive him as Lord and Savior. And they, his treasure, he's coming back for his treasure because they are his people. And I will say that the treasure got, the, the, the dirt kind of got brushed away in 1948 when the Jewish people came back to Israel, the Canaan land and they became a nation. And then in 1967, that was ratified again. And now today, there's a small little sliver of land, the only democratic uh, nation among a billion Muslim people. And there it is. It's just a treasure. It's a treasure to the world, and it's a treasure to Jesus. It is God's treasure, and He's coming back for them. You know, our, I thank God for our president who, number one, he stands for the Jewish people, and number two, he, uh, uh, he has established that, at least from our standpoint, that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And that was a big moment. People say, why you got so excited? I tell you what, I remember about a year ago or what that was when that announced. I just got filled with so excitement because I knew finally, finally we have somebody who recognizes what the Bible says, that Jerusalem is the capital of, uh, of Israel. And when we begin to see these things happening, we see God just pushing away the dirt from that treasure. His treasure, he's coming back for his treasure. I would say that our politicians in Washington would do well not to forget God loves Israel. Someone needs to tell that freshman representative in Washington uh, how much God loves Israel. The truth is, when you love Israel, you love what God loves. When you love his church, you love his bride. And God loves these times of the Gentiles. People say, what's this world coming to? Well, first of all, we see there's, everything's on track. There's a track that's coming. There is a seed that's becoming an herb, and then it's become this big old tree. Be careful, because in that tree, there's going to be all kinds of crazy birds, dirty birds, nasty birds. And Jesus said, make sure you make a test. Make sure you find out the source, the Savior. Make sure you find out where salvation comes from. And then he said, you're going to need to look at this. He said, make sure that you realize that there, are, there is an insidious um, leaven that you have to be careful of. There is a worldliness and waffling, and there is a work salvation. And then he reminds us here that he is coming soon. He's coming for his own, and he's coming uniquely for his people, the Jewish people. You'd say, well, that sounds good, and I like that, but there's only one issue here. I'm not Jewish, and why is that a blessing to me? Well, here's the issue. Folks, if God kept his promise to Israel, he'll keep his promise to us. He will. He's promised to save us. He's promised to give us so many blessings, and I know he will. The track, the treason, and the treasure. Jesus is letting us know what's going to happen in this world to come. Would you bow your heads with me, please?